Welcome to the Christian Coach Podcast, where our mission is to serve coaches through conversations so they can lead like Jesus. I'm Gian Lemmy, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Chad Simpson and Jim Good. Hey, guys. Hey, Gian. What's up, Gian? Not much, not much. Last episode of season three of the Christian Coach Podcast, and we're ending with an all-time great. This guy even has his name on a court back in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, our guest today is Dale Lair. Um, he's been a coach in a lot of uh, stops, including Liberty. Um, and now he is with uh, Buzz Williams at Texas A&M. And we talk about his life from being a janitor right out of college to, to now being a, the special assistant to the head coach at Texas A&M. And we just had a great time talking and catching up to their his Liberty days and reminiscing on some memories that I had from being a student athlete while he was the coach here at Liberty. But what'd you guys what you guys want to tease out to the audience today? Well, great interview, Gene. Enjoyed uh, listening to Coach Lair and just appealed to my heart, just a basketball coach, uh, the connection with Florida, as he uh, mentioned, you know, being baptized over in Tampa Bay and born in Daytona Beach. So all these stops are right in my backyard. And of course, the connection with Liberty, as I had a former player play for Coach Lair. So uh, a lot of personal connection, but just loved his story, his journey, the relationships. Um, and I, I challenge you, Coach, as he mentioned pretty early in the podcast, the idea, the question that I think all of us should ask is what would Jesus look like if he would coach and i think that's just an important thing to maybe sit down with a journal notebook at least your thoughts and go through some things and just to constantly remind ourselves what would that look like so i enjoyed hearing that yeah and gian you know this is this is the exact reason why we want to start this podcast was to allow access for for coaches out there to learn from guys like coach layer who has uh, a great experience and and gone through the ups and the downs of moves and uh, seasons and failures and and wins and so uh, i just loved hearing all about his journey um you know some of the inside scoop uh with him and coach richie mckay with him and coach williams um yeah this was this was a stellar episode and i as well i was i was at liberty when coach lair was there so for me as a fan to be watching from a distance and then get to um, be inside uh, the episode and kind of hear the stories. It was it was an awesome episode. So, um, but yeah, we're we're super excited to air this one. And Gian, Jim, uh, listeners, let's get into this one right now. Dale Lair, thank you so much for coming on the Christian Coach Podcast. Such an honor to have you here. Um, our first question is always, what does it mean to you to be a Christian coach? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, you know, our profession is uh, interesting. I think it, uh, you know, when I joined coaching 43 years ago, it was uh, much different than it is today. And uh, I'm not thinking that much of it has uh, improved. Uh, the reason I got into coaching as a believer was to impact lives, to share Christ, to uh, represent Christ in a uh, in a meaningful time in guys' lives in their you know late teens, early twenties. Uh, they're trying to figure out who they are. Um, I've had Bible studies with teams, with kids, uh, with campus groups 
over the years. Uh, but, you know, you know, what would Jesus look like if he were to coach? I, I'm not saying that I did that 100% right. I'm, I'm sure that I have failed in lots of ways, but uh, that was probably my uh, motivation, my influence, my uh, goal is to uh, shine light, as Jesus would say, I'm the light of the world. What? How can I be the light of coaching? How can I present uh, Christ in a way that would be attractive to guys I'm around every day. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. Um, let's go back. Um, young, young Dale. Um, did you have a nickname growing up? Lay dog. Lay dog. <laughs> yeah. And why, why was that? That was high school. It didn't follow me around. I don't know. I, I was layer my last Lair. name and I was a dog for some reason. I don't know, good <laughs> or bad, but, uh, that's good. Yeah. That's good. So tell us a little bit about your upbringing. Where, where did you grow up? How was your family? Um, and maybe some lessons that you learned through, through your childhood. Yeah. Uh, born in Daytona beach, Florida was a Floridian for 27 years. Okay. Uh, um, my dad was a high school coach. So I was around teams, players going to games when I was seven, I think it was, maybe five or six and seven um, before the game, I would have to dribble out and make a layup before the team came out for the high school games. That's a lot of pressure. Yeah. I, when I was real young, it was, it took a little longer some nights, but got a little better at it. So, uh, so basketball was in my blood, went to uh, junior college, wasn't good enough to get a four year scholarship initially uh, ended up playing Division II at Eckerd College in St. Petersburg, Florida. Um, met my wife there uh, as a senior. She was a freshman. Um, all the juniors and seniors knew me too well to go out with me, but freshman I had chance at and uh, kind of tricked her into a couple of dates. And uh, we both... Uh, started going to a Bible study together at that time and uh, kind of a nerd guy, not really an athlete at all, not really <laughs> someone that I was attracted to as far as friendship, but he had a campus Bible study and we okay. went and um, started, I'd grown up in church, did not know Christ as my savior, didn't have a personal relationship with him, but church was kind of in my blood. Uh, so we went to some churches in college, not really there to do anything other than check a box. Oh yeah. Well, I went to church. God helped me out. God bless me. I've at least gone to church this week. So going to this Bible study, uh, uh, the guy that led it was going to a called grace Bible church and, and, uh, <clears throat> So I was thinking about going and my car broke down one Sunday and uh, my girlfriend and I were, were heading to church, a different church. And uh, this Bible study leader uh, was leaving, saw me and we said, well, we'll just go to church with you. And I was confronted with God's word and the gospel and uh, what it meant to have a personal relationship with Christ. And um, 
And I had prayed some prayers like that in the past. I had had some interaction with Christ. Uh, not sure if I was a believer yet or not, but I knew at that point um, it it clicked. It made sense. And we started going to that uh, Bible church and uh, it was uh, life-changing. God's word in my heart challenged me to, to be committed, to be um, true, be have some integrity of what I was doing uh, away from church would be consistent with what I was doing in church. Um, so it was a uh, it was life changing, and my wife and I both uh, accepted Christ during that time. Got baptized in the uh, in Tampa Bay on the beach together. Uh, it was uh, it was awesome. So. Uh, it changed my life. I was thinking about becoming a pastor at that point and uh, didn't know what to do. And then there was an opening in the athletic department for a part-time janitor and a volunteer assistant coach. So I kind of jumped at that and uh, lived on a friend's uh, dining room on a couch to make ends meet, paid him a hundred dollars a month. Uh, wasn't making any money at all, $3,000 a year, $4,000 a year, something like that. And but that was my start in coaching and uh, was uh, thankful that uh, God had a plan to kind of uh, give me opportunities along the way and and uh, been a, uh, in the midst of the culture of basketball, which is changing and it's it's uh, unsustainable as it is in some ways. It's, it's not what I joined. It's certainly been uh, a great opportunity for me to kind of be involved with with guys lives for the last uh, 43 years. Yeah. You, before we get into every step of, of your career there, we might have a three-hour podcast here, but um, no, I just <laughs> uh, just getting there. Um, you talked about a little bit of a, having a transactional relationship with God first. Hey, God, I showed up at church. Um, now, uh, give me a good week, right? I think sometimes, you know, I coach for 10 years. It's There's still a lot of coaching being done in that transactional aspect, you know, and everybody that I talked to leading up to this interview about you, talked about the transformational way into which you coached your players, regardless of the school. Um, you, you had that uh, transformational attitude towards your athletes. Um, where did that come from? Where did you learn? Um, did that have some basis on you figuring out that God's relationship with you was not transactional and yet, and, you know, and, and yes, uh, transformational? Yeah, I, I, I don't know if, if, uh, I think it evolved. I mean, when you, when you coach a team, there is, it is transactional in some ways. Yep. You, you have to earn your opportunities. You, you, your playing time, your, your role on the team, your, how many shots they're not, you, you, that's not a, that's not based on grace. It's based on what you do, your performance, but yet how you treat people and what you, um, how you invest in them, how you talk to them is not transactional, but one bleeds into the other. It's, it's, it's hard. It's, it, you can't really separate a hundred percent, you know, how good this player is and how you treat them. And if they're great coaches, treat them better. I, I'm sorry. You try not to, you try to love them off the floor regardless um, but that's the challenge. So it, it's 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 a growth process. God uses these 
instances and opportunities in my life for me to grow so that I can do a better job the next time or with this person the next year or the next situation, because it's uh, it is a challenge and you uh, you have to balance both of that because, you know, Christ loves us when we were enemies, we, when we were sinners, uh, when we uh, were turning our backs on him. And so how do I mimic that? How do I um, do the same? no matter who I'm dealing with, whether it's a confrontation in a practice with a player or uh, a fan on the road, how, how do I represent Christ? Can't say I've done it all perfectly, but God has used these instances in my life to for me to mature and grow and and learn from and hopefully get better uh, at the, the next time. Yeah, well, thanks for being vulnerable and, and, and honest with, with your answer, that's great. Now let's talk about your career. First stop, janitor, half janitor, half assistant coach at Eckerd. Um, and how long were you there? And then what was the next stop after that? Uh, two years with that. And then I was a GA uh, at Eastern Kentucky University, the Colonels in Richmond, yeah. Kentucky. And I made $2,400 that year and uh, $1,200 went to tuition. My wife, we were married had been married a year. She got a job to kind of put us through grad school. We lived in married housing, learned a lot, came back to Eckerd. Uh, there was a bidding war after I got my master's in a year. There was a bidding war for my services. Uh, Eastern Kentucky had a position. Uh, they offered me 10000 to stay, and Eckerd offered me 11000 to come back. So it was uh, uh, a tough decision. We just – it was – we had a really good church in St. Petersburg, like I mentioned, and that was part of why we we wanted to go back to Eckerd, to go back to Grace Bible Church, uh, where the pastor we knew and we were learning and growing, and we didn't have quite a, as good of a church home uh, in Kentucky. So went back, was there for uh, five years as an assistant, uh, then got the head job at Queens University of Charlotte. Um, uh, Gian, it was, uh, there were uh, 887 women on campus uh, and 27 guys uh, the first year. So uh, we went from co-ed to uh, both men and women. Uh, it was a, I'm sorry, we went to from an all-women school to a co-ed institution in my first year and uh, started a basketball program. Coach McKay, Coach Richie McKay was my first assistant uh, head coach at Liberty. We had worked together at uh, three different places now. I hired him once, he's hired me twice. <laughs> he's babysat for my kids, I've babysat for his kids. Uh, think the world of him, what a uh, amazing human being, coach, uh, leader he is and thankful for our relationship um, started in 1988, uh, eight, now nah, 89. Yeah. Um, when I met him, so uh, it's uh, yeah. been thankful. As for, a for as a first time head coach at Queens, what was it about Coach McKay that made you want to hire him as you know one of your first assistants ever? Yeah, he was a a, a GA slash volunteer. I don't know what his position was at the University of Washington. One of the assistants there was a guy named Jeff Price, who I had known for 
since my college days. And, uh, and I kept in contact with coach price. He was a Floridian as well. And good friends with my roommate in college, played junior college, played small uh, college. And so he called me one day and said, you know, what are you doing? And I said, well, I need to hire an assistant, uh, start a program from scratch, et cetera. And he said, I got a guy for you, Richie McKay. And I said, well, tell me about him. Well, he's African-American. He's works hard. He's a good person. Oh yeah. He's a Christian like you are. So I said, okay, well, let's, uh, connect. So I was recruiting in Florida. Um, I had a year to recruit before my first team. So I was uh, busy in Florida where uh, there were more players per uh, college in those days. So the odds were better when I was in North Carolina recruiting people said, well, uh, well the, you missed the girls game before. <laughs> no, I was, we're co-ed now or we got men. We're, so uh, uh, it was a little bit of a, stigma uh queens was but uh so went to florida uh they were playing miami uh so i drove most of the way down he met me part of the way up from miami we had dinner uh connected talked to each other a lot during the year and i ended up hiring him uh, as my first assistant in our first year nice and that uh, awesome. was, was was a life-changing relationship yeah um he tells a story that um, in his first, um, uh, probably the first time he got that coaching job, he bought a, uh, 280ZX car. Um, and, and, and you, and you were shocked that he spent his, uh, his money on that. Can you, can, do you remember that story? Yeah. I made him take it back. <laughs> yes. Uh, he said, he, he said bought at the it end, and, yeah, he ended up getting his, an Acura. <laughs> I knew his salary <laughs> and it didn't fit. And I knew he had made some money playing overseas and had a little nest egg, sort of. Yeah. But uh, I said, you, this isn't the right purchase for you. You can't be going into debt this much, your first car. So, uh, you know, we we had – and he he thought about it and ended up – I didn't make him take it back, yeah. obviously. <laughs> uh, I said, are you sure you want to get into this? This, this is not a – uh, what your salary is, is not, is not sustainable for a yeah. car payment size. So, uh, he took it back and got That's a little funny. bit more affordable car. Yeah. He also, he also said, uh, one of the first recruits you guys had Marcus Doublefield, um, Stumpfield. Richie, sorry. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Um, he's still, um, Richie was still feeling like he could, uh, compete with those athletes and got, got a little competitive. <laughs> he, yeah. Uh, Richie is very competitive, still is very competitive, and yeah. that's what makes him really good. And it's uh, served him very, very well. In that role, he was kind of transitioning from a player to a coach. And you, you can't there, – there's certain things you don't want to do. You don't want to uh, get the player mad at you over something that's ego-centered and <laughs> they were having a shooting contest or one-on-one -on -one and – uh, Stubblefield had some words for Richie and Richie reacted poorly and, and had a few things to say back is, is what we all do at that age. And, and I brought Richie to the office and said, Rich, this, you, you can't, you can't be, uh, publicly having those kind of words with our, one of our best players. <laughs> he didn't know I, I needed the player more than I did Richie at yeah, that that's point. That's true. Yeah, so, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> 
but he learned from it and you know richie's just competitive and he understood immediately and apologized to marcus and it was great they have a great they had a great relationship and that's awesome. but it's just that's some great part stories. of making the transition from player to coach and yeah learning how to do that the right way and, for sure uh, for sure richie sure has figured it all out um you lo it looks like you, at queens you had a pretty good uh pretty good career coaching um they a few years back named the court after you right what what does that does that mean just to get the kind of recognition uh it, it's uh humbling um it's it's really not as deserving as probably a lot of courts are named after <laughs> i was the first basketball coach the first athletics director uh kind of got it all started and then they built a new facility. I wish they had that facility when I was there, but uh, when they built it, they wanted to name the court after somebody. And I was really like the only person that could, because I was really the only person that was ever there. So yeah. it's not like it's uh, you know, I had 900 wins and been there for 42 years and yeah. I'm a Jim Beheim uh, <laughs> type of a situation, but I'm the only one. So it was kind of like, well, got it. Either not name it for somebody or name it after the first guy, I think, more than anything. Okay, got it, got it. Um, so then after Queens, where, where, where was the next stop? Uh, Richie actually hired me at uh, Colorado State University and okay. uh, as his assistant. He had gone from uh, Queens to Bradley to University of Washington. Portland State had started a program from scratch. Richie was the first coach. He was there three years. He got the Colorado State job and and uh, called me up and it was in August and said, "Hey, I just got this job. You want to be my assistant?" And I said, "Wow!" And it was August. Yeah. School had just started at Queens, and it was a really hard decision. I'd been there ten years. Um, was an amazing opportunity. Probably did not deserve the job at Queens uh, when I got it, and. Uh, it was uh, kind of a storybook run. Um, family was there, had three children, all under the age of nine, uh, all under the age of 12. Um, great church, great relationships, and had a job opportunity. I felt like, well, this might be the only chance for me to get in Division One if I go. I had missed out on some different Division One opportunities that um, – just didn't get so I said well if I don't do this sometimes in coaching you go well maybe I can do a job certain places but who will hire me like what people yeah. and Richie was one of the few that would hire me so I uh so was uh, that the driving force from you know you know that made you want to go from head coach to an assistant coach uh just to have another opportunity to yeah. go to division one um yeah. and so and, and I wasn't going to work with just anybody and nor would just anybody hire me. So knowing Richie, I lived in his basement, took the job. I, I told my wife, I said, what do you think? And we didn't know, praying about it. And she's kind of the one who said, you know, this might be your your best chance. I didn't really know if I should move my family or not. It was yeah. Colorado was not near Charlotte. And uh, we moved to Fort Collins, Colorado. My daughter didn't talk to me for 30 days because she was upset. She was 12 or so. And uh, I was taking her away from all our friends. And 
So it was hard. And then he, uh, Richie took another job at Oregon State in 18 months. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't want to move. And we yeah. were, uh, Richie said, I'm taking this job. I want you all to come. The whole staff offered me a job to go with him. And I, um, I stayed. And I stayed to try to get the job, the head job. Okay. And, they interviewed 27 people at the Final Four in Indianapolis that year, uh, year 2000. And I was the last of 27. Uh, they brought uh, candidates to campus. They showed um, my office to a candidate one day when I was on the phone. <laughs> I was the only guy in the office. I was re recruiting, working guys out, scheduling, et cetera. Um, and had people praying for me. Uh, they offered it to th two or three people. They turned it down. And then they interviewed me on campus finally and uh, uh, gave me the job. I think it took uh, uh, 26 days, something like that, wow. to offer me the job. And I took it. AD called me into his office uh, Sunday night, and it was uh, about 8 o'clock. And I was kind of getting ready for bed, actually. My wife, <laughs> we had a long day. And and uh, the AD calls. We didn't have cell phones. Called me yeah. on my on my uh, home phone. I said, "Come to the office." I said, "Yes, sir." <laughs> so I told my wife. I said, "Brenda, it, it, I don't know if I'm going to get the job. I'm either fired or fired right now. But this <laughs> is going to be an important meeting." So he brought me in. We talked. Had a good conversation. I had already had a formal interview with the committee. He said, you're very close to getting this job, but the, that's the good news. The bad news will bring three more candidates into Denver International <laughs> Airport tomorrow to meet, meet them. I said, oh, my goodness. So uh, two days later, they gave me the job uh, at a press conference, and it was uh, miraculous, really, that that they yeah. gave me the job. Just a, uh, God's favor, God's grace at, at that moment, and uh, very, very thankful for the opportunity. And so that was uh, – head coach there seven years. So it was, uh, we were there yeah. nine years in Colorado. And now my daughter lives out there with two kids. And I said, you know, she probably said, I'm not moving again, dad. Yeah. She <laughs> said, I said, when we moved, I said, you want to come with us? She said, no, I got a boyfriend and a degree and job. <laughs> I said, remember you wouldn't talk to me for 30 days when I brought you out here. Now, now you don't want, you don't want to come back. Oh, dad, you know? <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. 12 year olds for you. That's I right. have a, I currently have a five-year-old that thinks just 12 years old. So that's a, that's a big problem. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a, that's a challenge for sure. They're, they're awesome. They're a blessing, but there's always a challenge no matter yeah, what age. For sure. Um, so then you're there for seven years and then is that when you went to Liberty with Richie or is that another stop before that? Got fired in 2007 and, uh, Richie took the Liberty job and, um, uh, offered me an assistant position. So I moved my family to uh, Lynchburg. Very, very thankful. Life-changing uh, opportunity. Thankful to Richie that uh, hiring me. And uh, so I uh, was there as, a, as an assistant for one year. Um, Buzz Williams, my current boss at Texas A&M, was my assistant at Colorado State when I got the job in 2000. He was uh, he was the first, uh, he was on my first staff there as an assistant. And so he worked his way to 
being head coach, was at Texas A&M. He was with me four years, Texas A&M for two, University of New Orleans as a head coach. Marquette as an assistant. He got the head job when Tom Crean left to go get the uh, Indiana job. So um, he hired me, and I went there for a year. We were in uh, Milwaukee. Um, I'm from Florida. My <laughs> wife's from Tennessee. We were shoveling snow every day. And my wife said, our next move, we're going south. And I said, well, honey, look at the map. Like Chicago's in the south from yeah. here. It's everything <laughs> south of Milwaukee. So um, Richie uh, decided to take the Virginia associate head coach job with Tony Bennett. Yeah. And uh, that opened up the, the Liberty head coaching position. So. Um, I interviewed there at the final four seemed like that was in, uh, Detroit and, uh, got the job and was there for six years and very yeah. thankful for the opportunity Two of my boys graduated from Liberty and it's a life changing experience for my, my family and my kids. And, uh, yeah. it's a great, great spot. Yeah. That's when you came, uh, Richie's last year was my freshman year, um, and then you came and we finished out my college years with you as, as the coach. We had so much fun at that Clemson match, even though it didn't go our way. That, that Vine Center was <laughs> so packed, right? It was just, it was an incredible atmosphere. Students were bringing the ESPN commentators cookies. Like there was just like an incredible uh, testimony to what Liberty was and still is, you know, to, to the national audience. I, I love that. That memory, um, it will always stick to me. One of the other members is Carter McMasters. Do you remember him? He's just so oh, tall, yeah. so tall with yeah. a mohawk. And I was like, I can't believe there's an actual human being this tall. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so there's some good memories there. Um, yeah. What was, let's let's talk about a little bit of Buzz when you hired him. What, what was something special that you saw in him that now makes uh, you still work for him? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I was, uh, I had gotten the job. Uh, I had hired two assistants. I had signed three or four players. I had talked to every booster group, done all that. It had been about 30 days. I needed one more assistant. And when you're coaching Colorado, and when I was under Richie, I quickly realized that the state of Colorado did not have the requisite number of players to be able to play at this level. So um, there was about one or two guys a year that were in-state that were able – capable of playing at Colorado or Colorado state. So I started thinking through that. So where's the highest populated state would be Texas. Second would be California as far as proximity and having enough players that you, you can go recruit to get them to leave, to go to a, a place like Colorado. And so, um, you know, I, I started, I interviewed a guy from California who's now an assistant in the NBA. Uh, thought I was going to hire him. He was a believer. Uh, I had mutual friends that that uh, recommended Buzz to me. Um, I picked him up at the airport, drove him back to college or to Fort Collins. And um, he was talking so fast and I was so tired. I almost turned around literally twice and just took it back to the airport and said, I, I don't really want to uh, listen to you. I'm just too tired. I think I already got a guy. Um, but I just said, I just 
kept saying, just make it through, drop him off at the hotel. Everything's fine. Get a nice, nice, uh, night's rest and, uh, hear him out tomorrow. So we were having dinner at an outdoor cafe cafe in, uh, Fort Collins, just a beautiful place. And we were eating and, and he started flipping through a book that he had made. Why Texas, uh, five different regions in Texas. You got the Metroplex in Dallas, you got Houston, you got West Texas, you got Central Texas, you got East Texas. He started saying all these guys, there, there are 97 Division One players last year, and I'm thinking, well, in my mind, there were seven in Colorado, <laughs> one of whom could have played at Colorado State, and he's saying there's 97 in Texas. And I had recruited Texas, been down three or four times in two years and kind of got a feel for it, and he started rattling off all these junior college guys he knew and all these high school guys he knew and AAU coaches, and I started thinking, I'm an idiot if I don't hire this guy. He's a believer. <laughs> He's a um, he's a worker, and he's uh, capable of bringing players from this state that could really help us. So, I hired him. Very very thankful. And uh, now I've worked with Buzz uh, over four different institutions over over eleven year ten years now. And uh, uh, I was uh, two of his children. He's got four kids. Two of them I was there for the day they were born. Saw him at the at the hospital. So know his wife uh we got a great great family buzz i've learned way more from him than he's learned from me and uh very thankful for our relationship there as yeah. well and he was probably weighing down the recruits by talking so fast you know and the, the recruits that, were just like yeah helpful. we'll sign yeah. we'll sign yes we'll go we'll go right. just <laughs> warm out <laughs> that's great that's right. great to hear um let's get one practical tip here you you've moved now, you know, so many times um, with kids, sometimes now your kids are older and without kids. There's a lot of change in, in college athletics, regardless of the sport. Coaches are moving around. What are some practical tips that you can give to some coaches that are in the midst of moving or thinking about moving somewhere um, and uprooting their family and going to a different state or different universities? Yeah, that's been one of the hardest things for us. Um, you know, we've lived in Colorado and Georgia and Virginia and Wisconsin and Florida and North Carolina. Now I'm in Texas. Uh, it, it's, you just have to know that's, that's the deal. And when I joined, it was very common for coaches to be at their institutions for 15, 20, 25, 30 years. Now it's yeah. virtually impossible to stay that long. You know, you can name probably four or five in Division One that have that kind of tenure. And with the NIL money, with the portal, with the upheaval in college basketball, it's, you know, those guys are retiring. Um, and the culture is such that it's not sustainable for guys to have that type of career um, at one institution. So you just got to know that's what it is If if you're – wife is not willing to have that kind of lifestyle. If your family is not built for that, then I would say don't get in this profession um, because that's, that's the deal. And my wife is amazing. She's a unbelievable person, strong believer, 
incredibly loyal, incredibly trustworthy, my best friend. If I didn't have that as a relationship, if there was uncertainty or um, uh, if it wasn't unwavering, then I would have said, you know, I, I should not, I should not run at this profession. Um, it's not for everyone. It's not for every marriage. It's not for every family. Uh, in tennis, it's probably different, but in yep. men's basketball division one, that's what it is. And, um, so I think it has to be a family commitment, a family, um, deal that, okay, this is what, who we are. This is what we are, um, going to pursue together. And are we all on the same page? Because it, it, it's, it's, it's a challenge. It's, a uh, that and the pressure, the, you know, who are my friends? We got, I got a lot of friends when we win, my wife would say, <laughs> but I don't have as many friends when we lose. Um, so that it's, it's a, a lot of things involved that when we started really weren't, uh, probably as, uh, permeate, didn't permeate the profession like it does now, but that's, that's kind of the deal. And you have to know what you're getting into because you're not got to know, or am, am I going to get my wife into this, my kids into this? Uh, because it, it, it is a strain. I, I, one of my sons was considering going to coaching and I talked him out of it. I said, I, I don't like the way the profession is going. Uh, I don't think you're built that way. I'm not saying that nobody needs to coach. No, that's not it. But I just did not think that it was the right match for my son's temperament, personality, who he was. Um, and he thanks me for that. He's now working for his brother and they, they're doing great. And, yeah. and and he thanks me that I kind of talked him out of it because I just didn't think it was the right move for who he was as a human being, uh, as a believer. So uh, our profession needs believers. It needs yeah. uh light. It needs um, people who are representing Christ. Buzz Williams does an amazing job. Richie does an amazing job. Uh, there are plenty of believers in this profession, but you have to know you can be a believer and have this type of relationship and this profession and this commitment and this uh, mindset of this is who we're going to be. Uh, but you got to know what you're getting into and you got to uh, count the cost of it. That's yeah. Thank you so much. That's, that's going to be so helpful um, to our audience. My last question is I would be remiss if I didn't mention this last season you guys had at Texas A&M and in, from the outside, it just looked like a great, a great run you guys made um, in March. What was one lesson that you guys learned as a staff or individually uh, for yourself this, this year? Great question. Uh, uh, Gianna, it's a, uh... I learned a lot from Buzz Williams in the midst of the changing profession. He finds a way to, to get ahead of it. And um, he, he's remarkable in that he, he invests in our guys off the floor, um, spends time with them individually. We'll take a walk across campus with them, have a cup of coffee with them, I'll bring them in his office meet him on their turf, text him at night, has a small group of guys that his leadership cabinet that he meets with, 
uh, twice a week and kind of frames what the week is about, what the next opponent is, tries to get their input, their buy-in. He'll leave them articles that he reads. Could be about uh, basketball, could be about finances. It could be a spiritual message. They'll leave them in their, in their mailboxes, uh, write a little note to them, uh, hand them, uh, give them personal cards, personal notes throughout the year, calls their parents, texts their parents, talks to their AAU coaches, talks to their high school coaches, so that it's – hey, he's building into these guys. It's not, like you had said, a transactional relationship. Yeah, there is transaction involved, but he's investing in these guys in a way that sets the standard for coaches. This is what you do. This is how you – bring some sort of stability in an unstable uh, profession, in an unstable season. We we struggled early in the year, and I um, we lost it at home against Wofford the game before Christmas, and everybody was down. We're all you – know, I'm not telling I'm, – I'm using a metaphor. We're all slashing our wrists on the way yeah, out the door. Yeah, it's sure. like yeah. it's the end of the world. And then uh, – Buzz made a couple of changes. We had our guys come every morning at seven in the morning to get extra shooting. And he rebounded for him. He passed for him. So it wasn't like you guys need to be in the gym more. It's I'm in the gym with you. I'm serving you. I'm investing in you. So we did that four days a week. Uh, he spent more time with them off the floor. We made a few changes to our rotation and then, uh, won two non-conference games and went uh, 15 and three in the SEC after losing to Wofford. Like yeah. no, no one in the world saw that coming. And uh, it's a testament to who Buzz is and what he did and how he tried to uh, double down on his investment in guys. And the buy-in from the players was uh, so much greater. Uh, it's because they had a voice. Buzz listened to them. They had a relationship that was deeper, and I think it came uh, came uh, to fruition on the floor in between the lines for SEC play, and uh, very, very thankful to be part of it. That's great. Well, thank you so much, uh, Coach Slayer. Thank you for taking the time. I know you're a busy guy. Um, it's a little earlier for you there in uh, in Texas than it is here in Lynchburg this morning. I appreciate you you making the time. I, I love this conversation. Um, we always end in prayer. How can we be praying for you? Uh, how can I continue to balance my family with basketball? Always a struggle. Um, how do I represent Christ? When do I speak? When do I not speak? Uh, coaches want to talk all the time. Uh, and I'm one of those and, I, you know, be quick to hear, slow to speak, uh, slow to wrath. Um, can I be a better listener? Can I be a uh, can I be less of a talker and a better listener? I think is some of the things that I've kind of been on my heart. Awesome. All right, let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you so much um, for having Coach Lair here. Thank you for his leadership in every stop of his career. Thank you for his leadership over his family. Um, Lord, uh, I pray that you you give him discernment in uh, these next few seasons of his life as. Uh, as he tries to manage the balancing between work and family and faith. And, and Lord, I pray that you give him 
discernment as well of uh, listening more, Lord, and, and speaking less and, and, and continuing to learn from others um, and not so much fall into the temptation to just speak, speak, speak. Lord, uh, thank you so much again for this conversation and pray um, that you, you, you just help us throughout this uh, summer season. Hear me pray. Amen. 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 This was such a great episode with Coach Dale Layer. Uh, I loved it. Um, so many takeaways for me, but just one that I'll share um, was just from this last season, hearing how they were struggling early on, took a, took a loss to Wofford. And as Coach Williams um, you know, calls out his team and, and says, hey, we need to do more of this, for him to share that you know, he himself was invested enough to get up at 7 a.m. and rebound and, and just show himself. So I think as a, a Christian coach, a Christian leader, to not just be able to, to bark out commands, but to kind of get in the trenches with your guys. Like that's just a, a beautiful and powerful testimony um, to represent Christ in the coaching world. Yeah, I appreciate Coach Lair sharing and just kind of almost like got a peek into his heart a little bit as we hear, you know, his story, his journey a little bit. And just the advice uh, as he was sharing with his own son getting into this profession and and the, the profession of college athletics, especially basketball, it's a hard profession. And he was just sharing about the landscape, the dimension, how it's changing with the NIL and transfer portal. So it's just coaches who are out there, we're praying for you. This is the purpose of this podcast to provide encouragement, but just appreciate Coach Lair's vulnerability, his honesty, and just sharing some of the inside stuff that maybe we don't hear on every other podcast. Yeah, that's so true, Jim. And I loved that he talked a little bit about the transformational versus transactional aspects of, of coaching. And I think us as Christians, we're always talking about we need to be transformational coaches, and we do. But at the same time, there are transactional aspects of the coaching life um, in regards to playing time, who who is a starter, who is a bench player, who gets more shots, who doesn't. But at, at the end of the day, the way you treat someone should not be transactional, right? And he talked a little bit about the pitfalls of us favoring some of the ones who are play better. Um, I have a fun story with one of the coaches um, that I have a relationship with. We we're in a big meeting with assistant coaches from all different sports, all different divisions. And one coach asked, you know, I have this player, uh, she was a runner, you know, um, and I have this runner and she's, you know, she's good, but she's breaking so many rules. What do you guys think I should do? Um, should I kick her off the team? Should I suspend her? Should I not do anything? And one of the other coaches who had been coaching for a decade said, how fast does she run the mile? Right. And so <laughs> I was like, wow, that's 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 good advice there. Um, but I think there's always transactional aspects to the coaching life and the way that we treat our players. But at the same time, the way we we relate to them and the way that we are an image bearer of Christ relating to another image bearer of Christ uh, needs to be transformational. So. We love this interview with Coach Lair. We love this season three. It was incredible. It goes by so fast when you're having so much fun. And coaches, we'll see you in the fall for season four, potentially with some changes, exciting changes in the making here. And uh, we can't wait to see you guys uh, back in August, September timeframe. And never forget that the mission field is right where you're at.